better than that kind of becomes my first, my first point. Hugh mentioned earlier that the, the singing in your congregation is ultimately the responsibility of setting, as every part of worship is in the congregation. When it comes to whoever is leading that singing, the session has to know about that. You can't sort of just walk down the street and say, oh, here I'm a right good singer. I think I can do that. Session needs to know about it. And they have taken some steps to ascertain your suitability for that task. In our code, in the, the part of it relating to the work of session, there's a little clause, a little paragraph in it. I haven't written down, but the Thinking fairly clear in my mind, for I, I keep mentioning it so often. At least the gist of it is that it belongs to session to appoint or remove the presenter. Now, when you think of it, that's a quite telling statement that the way back, whatever time ago that was, that somebody took that very seriously. Keep in mind it's a very serious matter whenever it says that the presenter could be removed. In other words, what? Being said, what's being said there is, if you're no good at your job, session has well within its powers to say, don't bother. So, whenever you think about that, it surely gives you a bit of perspective on the importance of the, the job uh, ahead of you. So, session has appointed you to be a presenter. Why have they done that? Because, broadly speaking, they want for there needs to be some sense of order brought to the singing. Otherwise, can you imagine kind of the degree of chaos there might be if just everybody started to suit up from morning, Mr. Stewart announces, blah, 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 that was praise God, and everybody stood up and just did what seemed right in their own eyes. And did their own thing. So the presenter, the leader of the praise, is there for a very specific purpose to bring order initially to the praise. Now we've already uh, noted, and it's never lose sight of this, it's very easy in the whole mechanics of leading and, and uh, singing and all that. Could, you can very easily lose sight of why we're doing it. Remember that you're doing this for God's glory. It's part of the worship service uh, and it's an expression. It's a bit like prayer. It's an expression of our adoration, for a confession of our thanksgiving and our supplication. Only we're singing it. And Mr. Stewart mentioned in the morning why, why we sing that rather than just speak it. It's the one aspect of worship where everyone participates. That seems very uh, given. The minister leads us in prayer and we pray inwardly with him. We don't tell him unless we say Amen at the end or whatever. We, he speaks on our behalf. He reads the scriptures on our behalf. He ministers that word to us. But the singing is the one part of the worship that we all have individually and collectively 
part to play. For praise is to be, to be taken, therefore, seriously. Um, and but by all the congregation. And the presenter has a responsibility because of what I said earlier, uh, not least because of what I said earlier that he had been appointed for my session, he has a responsibility to take that role seriously. Um, I, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't take it seriously, but that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily follow that they're doing it in the best possible way. They're, they're maybe doing it to the best of their current ability and that maybe needs to be bettered. Andrew will know the person I'm talking about when I mention the late Reverend Harry Tadley. Mr. Tadley was a, known as an evangelist in her uh, church uh, many years ago then. Subsequently he became ordained minister and served in two different congregations. But he was very much involved um, at that time in the Southern Committee of our church and he was very focused and switched on to, to psalm singing and to the way to do it and so on. <coughs> and I remember whenever I first was appointed presenter 40 something years ago, he uh, gave me great encouragement. I don't remember what all he said, but there's one thing that sticks in my mind. Leading the praise, and this was in his, his belief, was leading the praise was the next most important thing to preaching the word. Think about that. I'm not trying to elevate the presenter to somewhere in, to the level of, of the, the preacher, but Mr. Tandley, for this idea that. It's the next most important thing, and there's, I believe mean, there's a great deal of truth uh, in that. We need to be switched on to, to what we're doing, we, re we really do. And that whole process might involve some training. Now we can't just assume that because a session has ascertained their suitability, by some means, we can't just assume that they in turn will be able to train you to do it. They may not, they may have, there might be no one in session who has any even uh, slight musical ability. They might not, it might have to be uh, devolved to, to somebody else. But that's, that's something that session ought to think about. And I often wonder sometimes. We, we, as a church, we do certain amounts of training. Uh, I'm not talking about theological training, but we may train others to maybe to what they might need to do if they're going in go teams or, or that kind of thing. And yet we we just leave so much to chance. That's not a very good word, <laughs> but I hope you hope I think you mean you could maybe fill that in with a better one. Uh, when it comes to your leading of the praise, we just think, oh, there a guy that can maybe do that. We'll see how he gets on there. He might be a reasonably good singer, but that's maybe as far as it goes. It might, he might not be capable of developing in the way that he would need to do. So we need sometimes to, as congregations, sessions, to find people.
people who can help uh, in that regard. Now, very, very simply, uh, couldn't be more simply, there are four important aspects when it comes to, to either thinking about or trying to identify a presenter and the actual work of the presenter. Uh, some of these things I mentioned earlier, it's uh, fairly obvious. He, he has to select tunes that are uh, appropriate. He has to lead the, the people that are singing. But there are two other um, aspects that kind of get not mentioned very much. Third one, the, the first one of these is um, teaching the congregation to sing. It's a very important part. Um, your, your role does not finish or does not start at 12 o'clock on Sabbath morning and finish at 1. You, there has to be some time in the yearly, we'll not put it any, any closer than that, the yearly church calendar for some activity that will involve you, the presenter, teaching that congregation. They all view tune, but teaching them how they ought to sing. And we were going through bits of that there this morning, and uh, Hugh and I had two or three lines of discussion about it there, and we were thrilled at how you people were responding to that wee bit of, of encouragement and influence that was being brought to bear upon you. Good, keep that up and take that back home to your own congregations. Not what Hugh and I have been doing, but just the way that God wants you to sing beautifully. Think about that word beautifully. Um, it's not a horring and a roaring and bellowing at the top of your voice, just I say this very reverently, God is not deaf. So we need to teach our congregations how, how they, they ought to sing. Uh, not only that, you want to, to teach them to, to respond to your leading. If you, want, if you want your congregation to sing expressively, and you, you have to do it, just can't stand up and sing blah, 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 plodding it out like that in a, a non-interesting way. You have to put expression, you have to sing meaningfully. So that the people walking past, there that we street there, there not a lot of people walking past, but if they heard it out from the other side, they might be just arrested. Might not, but they might be they're more likely to be if it's sung well than sung in a melancholy, drab sort of way. Um, Lord Van Ernest Lloyd, Christian witness to Israel, used to talk about people moaning the Psalms. He wasn't terribly impressed by the moaning of the Psalms. Anyway, the, the, the last thing that you need as a presenter to do, um, and this is not something that you will do the next day after you have been appointed yourself, but you need to think seriously about teaching others to do the same thing. That's the way that it's done in all aspects of life. Somebody learns how to do something and they train somebody else or teach somebody else the way to do it. That happens in all, whether you're going to be a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon or whatever. You have some idea about the thing and you pass that knowledge on to somebody else uh, and they hopefully will be able to continue. 
you do not want to be known as the person who starts the singing. That, I don't know whether that expression is used here or not, but in Northern Ireland, uh, it's a quite a common old Joe Blow starts the singing in our church. And I really cringe when I hear that expression. Because it conjures up an idea in my mind across between the Dublin Derby and the Northwest 200. Which is a big you know, somebody fires a gun or waves a flag or something like that and the thing starts. What happens after that? There's no management of the praise. It just starts and somehow or other it stumbles along and maybe it finishes at the end of the verse. Amazingly, at the right place, uh, and so it goes on. You don't want to be known as a person who starts the singing. You want to be known as someone who can manage that praise and whom people can look to and know that they're getting some order and direction from. You are in control of that praise. So there's an in, 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 ensconced in all the training that you will do, there, there is a certain discipline that you have to impose. Now I conduct the Northern Presbytery Choir of our church, which has been in existence for 60 years. I've been in it since I was a wee boy left, and I've been conductor for about 18 or so years. Now, clearly, I will impose perhaps a much more strict discipline on the choir in their, uh, we'll use the word performance, uh, I, I also uh, impress upon the fact that we're not putting on a performance, but I, I, I use it loosely there. Um, I wouldn't, in, in the normal course of congregation singing, uh, I'm probably not going to stop the congregation unless it's exceptionally bad and um, say to do that again. Sometimes you may have to do that if it's so horrendous and don't be afraid to do it. Um, but uh, I'm reasonably blessed in that in my own congregation the singing uh, quite often doesn't well doesn't require that kind kind of, of strict um, hammering to be imposed upon them, but you may find that your congregation is not doing the same way you want them to do, want them to do it. Uh, and that presupposes that you know what you're doing, uh, that you know you have an interpretation of that psalm, that piece of music that you want to sing it to, and you would like it expressed in that way. Imagine any other. Uh, musical event that you might go to where something of a choral nature, for instance, for instance you know, uh, or an orchestral nature, there's somebody there keeping discipline. I listed at the beginning there certain things that I'm involved in and I have been saying since I was a high a daisy. Uh, and I attend 10 choir practices every month, I'm not going to bum and blow with this all the time. But in the midst of all that, the praise that we will offer to God is the most important singing that we will ever do. And if we can remember that, 
should serve to, to help us uh, on, um, to, to better ourselves. That was a kind of an overarching theme on the role of the presenter. Coming now to, and again there might be a slight overlap here within the, the, the parts of this, the responsibility of the presenter, and you will see that I very cleverly used the, the letters RB uh, as I go through the parts where they don't overlap until I finish, of course, but anyway. Down through the years, I have had the opportunity to go to a number of congregations to try to help them with their singing. And that may involve just helping to find a presenter or presenters, uh, or it just may involve trying to help that presenter to motivate their congregation a wee bit. And I usually begin by asking the presenters a question. If you could only fix one thing in your in relation to the singing in your congregation, what would it be? If you had only a chance to do one thing, and you know this, have you any idea what everybody to a person tells me? If only they would sing along with me. If only they would sing along with me. And that is the answer I get on almost every occasion. You are there to lead and to motivate. You used to be a young TV called Mr. Motivator. <coughs> Try and, and do something like that. But let me know. Uh, but it's your responsibility to lead and to motivate uh, others. Those two things dovetail together. You can't do one without the other. If you're going to exercise good leadership in that praise, you will have the people singing along with you. There's no point of you being a one-man band up here at the front and everybody just doing something and not really wanting to engage with you. Now, again, we're pre presupposing and assuming that this presenter is fairly good at his, his, his job. He may need motivating himself, and maybe he will get there, and maybe he will never get there. But let's assume that he's trying, trying very, very hard to, to motivate you. You need to respond to that. Um, I certainly was interested, and I think I've got this right, that all of you people who are with me, not only you, you can put me right in this, all of you who are presenters, do it from position at the front of the church. Is that more or less the case in every congregation here? Okay, well that's bravo. That's at least one thing I can score out, uh, I can score out the next paragraph, <coughs> because to do it effectively, you have to lead from the front. No one ever led anything from the back. You don't lead by driving. Um, nothing is achieved by a presenter shouting and screaming about <coughs> the church. That, that is horrendous. And yet there are places on our side of the pond where that is done. I'm not don't mean right at the back, we can be sitting anywhere or doing it from anywhere but where they should be. Um, some of the churches here used to have what I would describe as a presenter's box. 
uh, a little pulpit-like thing. It used to be tucked in underneath the pulpit. Um, there's only one church over with us, Kells Water, that was that. And it, it's part of the building that largely remains un- unoccupied, uh, unless I've been there eating salmon and praise and certain things. And I go into it and the first time I've kind of had to read the place up. Nobody had been into it for, for, for generations, maybe. And uh, so if there's somewhere, table, ideally, if you can have something like this to set your book on, but you don't have to, you could you could hold your book in one hand, and if you're going to conduct, you can do it in the other, the other hand. Ideally, if you have somewhere there to, sometimes you do it to have something to kind of hide behind almost, to give you a wee bit of support uh, and uh, protection almost. We, we all like that. Sometimes I ask why, and this is maybe uh, relating more to people who want, who don't want to stand at the front, who would rather hide down a bit somewhere. I just somebody asked the question, why do you not want to do the right thing? Why do you not want to do the job properly? You wouldn't expect your minister to, to lead your worship from halfway down the congregation. And we've already assessed that this is the next best thing to that. And whether you agree with that may be a different matter, but it's a very important rule. So why would you not do it from a position where you can be seen? I, I mentioned, I think, in the early before last um, that there's a danger if you are if you are sitting down in congregation, uh, people can't see you. They maybe hear you singing the first. They may hear you singing, getting the starting note. They may hear you starting the thing off, and that's the last time they will have any indication. Uh, of who is making any shape of leading the thing. Now, the next time you might hear them was at the start of the next verse, and, and so on and so forth. But you're going to, if you're going to be anyway effective in that position, you're going to wreck your voice, I think to say this, because you've, you'll have a particularly men maybe feel this because they feel that they need to be shouting a bit more in order to be heard. And the bigger the gathering, the more they need to be heard in order to create some order. And uh, as I said, yes, I, I did say earlier, I discovered very soon after I started conducting, it was much easier. And my voice, you know, I need it to be easy when you have a lot of singing to do. You don't want to be shouting and bawling at the top of your voice. So those things need to be to be thought about. Um, so many things here, but they come into other rules, I'll leave that one out there. Uh, a question sometimes that's asked to me, what part does the presenter sing? Now, there's a simple answer to that, uh, and then there's a complicated answer. Uh, if your congregation is made up of people who don't know any parts, if it's a melody only situation, well, that's fine. <coughs> <Pardon me. coughs> he, 
will sing the melody. If, on the other hand, uh, the congregation has a, a good number of harp singers, soprano, tenor, and bass, and that is all happening, and the presenter is perhaps a baritone or a bass, he might want to actually sing that part. Uh, and there's no reason why he can't, but he needs to establish the melody in the first place. He needs to sing the first, at the very least, the first verse. And then if he finds that all is well and that's, there's an established group there who can, who can carry that, that's fine. He can do his, his harmony or whatever. Um, but the, the main thing you need to think about is, is the melody of this going to be carried. I remember uh, standing amongst a, a small group of singers on one occasion at something. And it was actually all men, about six of us. And uh, one of them were, were going to sing a psalm, and one of them uh, was leaving it. <coughs> and I realized this, this guy would have been a, a baritone. And as we started, Almost immediately, certainly within uh, when he ended the second bar, he launched into the baritone. There was no one singing the melody. Can you imagine what that sounds like whenever without the melody? If you ever tried it, try singing all the tenor and bass, uh, chording is there, but it doesn't really sound like anything because it's missing uh, the melody. But what was worse than that? I was singing away, I sang away the melody until and beyond he, he, he reaches over to me and he gives me, as we say, another there and I bounce in the ribs with his elbow and he points and he points at the third line and points and says, why are you not singing the tenor? There was a time and a place for doing it. So you sing the melody until you're confident and maybe that's all that there is ever going to be. And that's that thing. You want to teach the congregation how to sing properly. I use the word beautifully in their Bible. Teach them to sing beautifully. What is beautiful singing? It's singing that, yes, that's expressive. That's one part of it. You need to sing uh, in such a way that you're conveying the meaning of somebody was walking past there, that they would be attracted to that, not only because of the musicality of it, but because they did stand long enough to understand what's actually being sung. But in order to sing beautifully, you have to pay attention to diction, to nice vowel, nice vowel. <laughs> <laughs> Nice vowel, round vowel sounds and a nice tone. You don't want to sing partially. You want to keep it all, get as you said earlier, get it all out of the gaps that are up in here. We were created with empty spaces. Uh, some people laugh about the empty spaces that others have up in here between their ears. Uh, we were created with those empty spaces to create a resonance in our sound. That's what you want to use. If you just bring all that air that he was encouraging you to, to muster, if you just bring up, uh, up through your vocal cords right through there, it's going, ah, ah, it's going to be awful. So, yeah, think about it. 
Think about your singing. Think sing. Uh, you get it all in there. And uh, for, uh, then I mentioned there a little while ago, they're teaching others uh, uh, to lead. Now you might feel, uh, even maybe today, whatever stage you're at and presenting, ah, I'm not sure that I could do that. But aspire towards it. And, and it's wonderful what God will help you to do. Uh, if you have a, a resolve to, to do that and a, a real desire to help this congregation to, to, to improve and to maintain that improvement and to be even better, you will want to, to teach others. For many, many years, congregations have the same presenter. I, I, I know presenters have been a congregation for 50 years. And then whenever they either retired or died, no one else had been trained up to do the job and were in a real hammer, as we would say. They, they just didn't know what to do. And that, that can happen. Don't let that uh, happen. Try and bring somebody else along. I don't know if you're thinking, well, person I have, and I'm not casting any aspirations here. The, the, the good thing about this is I don't know your circumstances. Uh, and uh, uh, you may not be that low on the task or you may not be, feel that you're exceptional at it, you will always improve, and along with that improvement, bringing others along with you. And that responsibility of the presenter kind of uh, seamlessly um, merges into what I call the resolve uh, of the presenter. And this is maybe where I'm going to speak a wee bit more about the actual mechanics of it, as I call it, the actual doing of all these previous things is here's what you should do, here's what you ought to do, here's what it's all about. This uh, portion here is maybe just a bit more what do you do. However, we're okay for time, the plane's not way up, you know. Is there anybody any questions on this thing? Mm. Do on that first section before we get into it? Yeah. Yep. And if they want to, anything they're not clear on there or, or a comment they want to make. What do you think of a microphone that are singing? Singing into a microphone, absolutely. If, uh, if you have a, a if your voice doesn't particularly carry, um, I certainly have no problem with uh, somebody using your minister would use it quite often. Uh, and, and yet, and he's working in a quiet environment, uh, but the sound is being, his sound is well, usually unless the winds are creating a bit of a flag, but uh, he's in a relatively quiet environment. You're trying to operate along with the congregation, but it might be, it certainly would be a very good idea to, to use a microphone. And don't get by the sound unless you do want you the way up because it's blasting from here to there. You know, you just want to reinforce it a wee bit, but carry it to the back slightly better. Yes, absolutely. Um, <coughs> whether you're conducting or not, uh, because I suppose one of the things and you can correct me in this, uh, it may well be 
that not everyone in the company, well, certainly in any congregation, not everyone can read music. So whenever, whenever uh, your minister gets up and announces a particular psalm, um, do you make a habit of announcing, uh, obviously, announcing the tunes, or do you have them up on boards or the tune numbers and things like that? Right, okay. Well, usually the minister will, will sing Psalm 106, verse 1 to, to 4, to tune such and such and whatever number it is. Now, that last bit is, can be somewhat meaningless to a great number of people because they haven't a clue about music, so they never bother opening that other bit of the solver if you're using a, a solver of music man. So it means nothing to them. And until you get actually started to sing, oh yes, no, that tune is now. But they haven't latched onto it. Now, there may be, there may be the old tune uh, that they will know uh, what's going to happen, uh, sounds and tune combinations that sometimes in, in certain combinations don't vary too much. I mean, if, you're, if it's your habit uh, to sing the sound kind of to criminal, all the time, but most people will know that that's what's coming up. Uh, but if you're moving around a wee bit and using other, other tunes and so on, uh, I suppose away years and years and years ago they used to uh, line the tune and that gave them an opportunity to, to hear what, how the tune went before they actually, actually started. Uh, so you, we probably Taken a wee bit for granted that a lot of people know how know what that tune is going to be like if they can certainly if they can read music, but if they can't do that, they're depending on you making yourself heard to some degree. And if you have to do that a lot, you certainly need sound reinforcement. Uh, otherwise, again, your voice will be uh, get uh, strained. How's the how's the presenter motivated? The point you made that most of the presenters said that you know that they're not singing with them. Um, okay. How do you actually motivate? Because you know, if you know what you're doing, the last thing you want to do is stand up and convey to people, I really know what I'm doing here and you don't. So uh, that's not a way to motivate people. Yeah. How do you yeah. actually communicate to people, I love God, I love the praise, I love you, I want you to improve your praise? Until you actually have some interaction with the congregation in an informal way, such as, let's say this was one congregation and I was your presenter, and I felt that you needed to, to uh, a wee bit of instruction, discipline injected into it. Until you do that, you will not necessarily get it done from the front of the church. Um, he was able to demonstrate a wee while ago there, even though he was conducting. And there was a, a very, very slight drag. Uh, weren't just exactly in time. Now, that's, if, if it's only, uh, that can happen very easily uh, in a, a big gathering of people. The, the, the last, uh, I'm over on uh, the Psalm 7 April, where we had a, in the, Assembly buildings in Belfast where about 1100 of people and uh, that's a big difference trying to conduct that 
from a congregation of seven or a hundred because suffer even though and, and uh, there's no point in the wide world and starting off a high rate of notes and hoping that by the time we get to the last verse that would have finished up at a reasonable tempo. That's not the way to do anything. Uh, but in a congregational setting, your presenter needs to engage the congregation and say, look, here's what I want you to do along with me. We have already ascertained that this, this praise that we're offering is for the glory of God. We have to, have to, have to do it in the very best possible way. Now, everybody's idea of very best is different. And if your presenter uh, is someone who particularly, for instance, and speed is not the only, sometimes we get caught up in these things about that speed of singing is the only criteria that distinguishes between good singing and bad. It isn't. It's, it's one of the criteria. But you have to, as a presenter, you must be able to demonstrate to that congregation, look, this is how I want you to sing this. This is how I want you to watch me. This is what three beats in the bar looks like. One, two, three. One, two, three. And that's all you have to do in order to conduct. If you are conducting an orchestra or a big choral society, you would be doing it. The same thing would be there, but you would be wanting to, to bring a bit more expression into your conducting in order to, to motivate them that way. Is that in any way answering your question, Andrew? Well, it's, a, it's more of the same what you said before. It's more the idea of how you actually motivate. I think what you're saying is you need to be clear in what you're doing. I think you need to uh, lovingly uh, say to people, we're in this together, it's not me telling you what to do. Yeah. Uh, and then get the opportunity to do that. Yeah. The, the, in order for people to interact with you and to be a part of, of you, they, they need to know what you're expecting. They need to be clear that I want you to sing at this speed. That's what that means. Uh, I don't want you to... Uh, sing ahead of me or behind you, that doesn't do anything any good. Even though you might think I'm not singing fast enough or I'm singing too softly or whatever. I want you to to do it that way so that we're all together and to quote a phrase singing from the same song sheet. Uh, it's it's very important that now you won't do that as I said earlier, you won't do that sort of morning. You have to engage with your people. At practice. Don't use the Sabbath morning worship service as practice. Have, have your practicing done. If you want, for instance, to introduce a, a lovely new tune that you have heard being sung somewhere and been beautiful, you don't do it tomorrow morning. The congregation might never have heard of it. It's going to be awful. But you take your congregation on a Sabbath evening or something, here's, I'd like you to listen to this. We'll sing over half a dozen times so you can think about it. And then they're, they're slightly more ready to, to uh, engage with you. Um, it can also help the presenter isn't left on his own. Um, I've been in a situation where the minister said, look, whenever the presenter stands up 
he is in charge, right? Uh, <coughs> do what he do what he wants you to do, and and they've responded. So um, you know that reinforcement can be very useful.